Welcome to Lucky Boys Podcast. I'm Will. And I'm Norm. And I want to introduce a very special guest today, Cos Marte. Uh, thank you guys for having me. Man. How are you? you? I'm good. I'm thank good. Thank you for coming down. Nah, thank you for having me. It, it, didn't, it didn't take a long time to travel here, though. Yeah, you live down the block. Well, I guess I know. this is the first podcast we had where we had uh, all LES natives, right? That's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. Born yep. and raised, right? Yep. Wow. It's Lower crazy. East Side, for those of you guys listening and you're not from New York City, that is where we all from. And we grew up in this, typically in the same era. Yeah. The like, vicinity, yeah. Same. So I think a five block radius, basically. I think less. Yeah, <laughs> yeah probably yeah, less. Like two yeah, blocks yeah. away from you. you you're t- yeah. Yeah, just a block away I'm in the us. middle of both of y'all. The crazy thing is we never met. Yeah. 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 Hey. My dad had the bodega, so you probably... The corner bodega on the, Forsyth? He had it on Rivington. Rivington. It was, okay. be, it was a small little stop bodega. One. No, not the stop one. No, there's one uh, between Eldridge and Forsyth, and, and it was like three steps down. It's like a wine bar right now, but... Yeah. Oh, I know which one. <laughs> yeah. I know exactly oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. which one. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I used to work there sometimes when I was a kid. Wow. I don't remember so. a bodega being there, but I remember the wine bar. Oh, the okay. wine bar. Yeah. Nah, that's when yeah. it, it got gentrified. Gentrified, yeah. 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 <laughs> a lot's changed, man, the neighborhood, yeah, yeah. right? You became internet famous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you did a few TED Talks. You were on Vice. Uh, mm-hmm. So you had other interviews on other platforms. And, and I was like, oh, my God, this guy's from LES. And, yeah. And uh, he's the same age as us, close to it. And like, how did I have never meet this guy? I was always around yeah, playing a- in the area. And um, you were known at that time as the as a teenage New York City drug lord who made millions. That's what that's what Vice said. <laughs> I mean, I made I made a lot of money when I was a kid. Um, it was just a crazy operation, you know. Uh, like my boy, I don't know if you you ever met Joey. Um, Joey Lajave, but he's hanging around. He's around, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, same age as you, um, 38, 37. Um, him and I just like worked nonstop on the streets, man. I, but I, I first had the corner, and I remember when I was like running the corner of Broom and Eldridge, I was there like 24 hours a day, and, and Joey used to come up to me and just buy a few bags here and there so he could like sell it off and I would give him a deal. Um, and then I just saw his hustle and like he just bought me out one day. I remember him buying saying like, yo, I need I need more. I need more. I need more. And just coming back and forth. And I'm like, yo, I'm out. Need more what? Cocaine? Coke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause he was buying, you know, I was selling like you know, twenty bags on the block. And so I, I don't know, he bought like twenty, twenty bags or some shit like that. And then he came back and like was like, Yo, I need more, I need more. And I was I ran out. And he was like, yo, I need more. Where can I get more? I was like, yo, you know, we could go see my cousin. He was like, yo, let's go half and half. And and this is where, like, the partnership started, you know. And how old were you guys? When that happened, I must have been, like, 18, 17. 18. Now, did you start off selling cocaine right away or was there something else? No, I started selling weed um, at 13. And I don't know, my I remember my cousin... uh, was selling ounces of weed. Uh, basically, my all, everybody in my family that was like a little bit older than me was selling weed and coke and all that stuff. But I remember the kids in my school. They were like, "Yo, I need." You know, they used to know that I was smoking. So mm-hmm. everybody back in the day would get like a nickel bag amount of money. You so know, so you were I mean? that everybody, guy. <laughs> everybody's like, "Yo, give me a dollar, dollar, dollar," and I go get the you know twenty five cents Philly. Yeah. And so you know, I, I'm smoking for free, but I'm going up to my cousin to buy a nickel, and then I'm like the the one rolling it. 
And so I was always that middleman. So for me, it was just like a supply and demand. And I was like, yo, let me just buy an ounce. And and from there, it was just, that's how everything started. You know? So you saw that like opportunity to kind of expand your business at that point. I saw, I saw like my cousins making money. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, this is how people make money. And, and I remember like my mom and my dad didn't like, didn't have any money. You know what I mean? I, I couldn't ask them for anything. If I needed like a pair of shoes or anything, it was basically a hand-me-down, hand-me-down from, yeah. you know, somebody in my family that was like, Hey, yo, I don't need these kicks anymore. Yeah. Um, I know that. I know that all too yeah. well. None of us got allowances. <laughs> exactly. There was, there was no allowance. There was no clothing, you know, mm-hmm. was, everything was hand-me-downs and I wanted my own shit, you know, and I couldn't get, I had no video games. I had to like, you know, go to my cousin's house to play video games, and and it was like twenty of us in a in a, in a room. You know, yeah. just like fighting for you know to play Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis. You know, and that was it. Um, but I wanted my own shit. You know, and and so you thought that was that was the way that was your ticket out. And, yeah, and and it was. You know, like I was making my own money. I was you know doing. I was the only kid in my school that with a with a cell phone. You know, at yeah. 14 years old, that had the old Nokia. I remember playing, those. Playing Snake. Yeah. You know what I mean? that, that battery life will go up for three days. They need to bring that battery technology yeah, yeah. back. Black and white screen, you know yeah. what I mean? And, uh, and, and I felt good about myself because everybody looked at, like, you know, they, they thought I was making something. You know what I mean? Did you really make millions? Yeah, so we, so how, how I'm going to, I'm going to break down the math to you. Um, I wish we had a chalkboard right here. You know? <laughs> I'm secretly taking notes. No, I'm kidding. I'm nah, kidding. I don't, I don't, I don't care. I mean, it's pretty yeah. self-explanatory. So, I mean, I started off like, you know, selling eight balls and ounces and all that stuff, but basically. Now, can, can, can you explain what, what are eight balls? Eight balls is 3.5 grams, uh, cocaine, um, and Typically, back then in the street, you was getting it for about $120, $125 a a eight ball, mm-hmm. and so you break that down and you make about three fifty if you bag them up at point threes, um, and, and point three point three of a gram you're selling it at twenty bucks, and you know you're making a gram for like sixty seven bucks, uh, and that's how much money you're making on on the revenue side. Wow. Um, but so. Basically, what we were doing uh, off a whole key at at the point that we were making a lot of money off a whole key, we were like generating ninety to one hundred thousand dollars in revenue, uh, and we were selling a whole key in in about a week. Um, and so how we how we did that, we stopped selling to uh, you know the crackheads that were on the block. Everybody that moved in the neighborhood in the early two thousands were just hips. I'm talking about oh four. Uh, Oh three, oh four, oh five. We was just selling just nothing to like nothing but just white people in the neighborhood that just moved in, and we would just go into like the the bars. Like I, I you probably remember Happy Endings. Yes, I do. It was Be- right, uh, right around the corner from the bodega. Yeah, yeah, on yeah. Broom and Aldridge, right there between yeah, yeah. Aldridge and Forside. So, yeah. Happy uh, Endings is like a bar slash. But um, back in the day, it used to be a real happy ending. Yes, yes. <laughs> I actually walked in there. Oh, they had the sign, right? They kept it. Yeah, they kept yeah, the yeah, old they the sign. Yeah, yeah sign. but you walked in there, and there'll be a, a lineup of girls. Yeah, yeah, And you get to pick. But there was a you, few you spots. You weren't with me, but I, I'm a good we were boy. just bar hopping, <laughs> and they ended up at happy After, endings. Yeah. And and then I, I was like, why is there a bunch of girls behind that? I was like, oh, it, it's for real happy ending? And my yeah. friends are like laughing, and I was like, yeah, this is crazy. Yeah, but there used to be a few of them. There used to be happy endings, JJ, and then on Eldridge, there used to be two basements, and then there used to be 
the there was a, like a, a Mexican spot on Delancey mm-hmm. and uh, and Aldridge, and so there was like a gate down down in the basement, and you'll have like Colombians and all those girls down there. I mean, it was just it's crazy. a speakeasy now, right? Yeah, that's well, that that's across the street. That's this the speakeasy okay. uh, Attaboy. Yeah, it'd be yeah. Milk and Honey, which I was like, that was another Coke spot that I was hustling in. Um, but yeah, I mean, everything started there, and then and those people were moving to like Williamsburg, Brooklyn. They were like, you know, living in different neighborhoods, but they were coming to party down there. Right. So I, we Joey and I made business cards, and we started giving it out to all these people. And it, from there, it was just like, yo, we deliver everywhere. You know, we, we first started like riding bicycles to like everybody. And then all my friends, you know, that were standing on the corner, like just smoking weed, wasting their life away. I'd be like, yo, like we were just like getting in, on their back. Like, yo, what the fuck is you doing? What's life? Like we got so, like we got so much demand that we just couldn't handle it. And so we started getting our friends to like make all the deliveries. And then we started getting cars and. From there, it just started blowing up. It was just crazy. I actually so. got your business cards a couple of times. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I swear. So I would, I would come out at the bars. And the next yeah. thing I was like, hey, go, go, go. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what? And like, You're here. And then I was like, what is this? And then they showed me a business card. I was like, are they serious? Yeah. I mean, we just did not stop marketing. It was just like... We were screaming cocaine sometimes down the street. <laughs> like, weren't you guys? <laughs> you guys are going like lawlessly. Like you guys were not uh, yeah, afraid we, of any repercussions. Yeah, we didn't give a fuck. We were just like we were super obnoxious. I remember buying uh, a, a Cadillac Fleetwood twenty-two inch gold spinner rims. Um, you know, like pearl white seats. And I'm talking about like what the craziest sounds it like this this car came out in the dub magazine. Like we were just so obnoxious, like just playing loud ass, you know, rap music. You were literally like fuck. basically doing everything but having a physical sign say, I'm a cocaine dealer right here. Exactly. Exactly. How did they never catch you? You were able to just go about this for years yeah. successfully. Yeah without and, being and, tagged and 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 the way we got caught was not through the marketing stupidity that we were doing we got caught because somebody told on us which right. is crazy let's let's know. touch on that later yeah, yeah. I, I do want to dig deeper on on the whole mathematics behind us yeah so you made millions yep and you guys were spending and you, you didn't even care yeah we didn't we didn't give a fuck we I'm talking, we were smoking, we were smoking a lot of weed between Joy and I. We were smoking about a half a pound every two weeks. We were like smoking 50 blunts a day. I was smoking two packs of cigarettes. I, I was just, and we were staying up for three days at a time and just sleeping in the car. Like were you we, guys taking caffeine pills to stay up? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. like in, in Vice, you know, I was taking no dose pills. Um, and that was Joey's idea. <laughs> we were like, I don't know. Uh, we were just walking. I think we went into Dwayne, the right. Uh, was it Rite Aid or Dwayne? Rite Aid on uh, by Smith Projects over there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we hop out and we, we jump in and and, um, and he's like, yo, we should take these. These are caffeine pills because we were trying to do whatever the fuck, you know, it took. But but use cocaine, <laughs> you know, like we did not want to get high on our own supply. Right. And so uh, we used to just buy no dose pills to like stay up. And, and sometimes it didn't work. Like we were like, 
I remember we I I knocked out and because uh, sometimes he would drive and he would sleep on the on the passenger seat and then I would drive he would sleep, and so we'd just take turn back and forth, and um I remember like passing out on the passenger seat. And just waking up with cops like banging on our windows. What? And um, I forgot what street. I think we were on Delancey Street, and we caused so much traffic because he fell asleep on the wheel. Oh shit! <laughs> I was like, I was going to ask, like, what what happens to you? He fell asleep. Is this he with fell, a loud, flashy car? Uh, no, the, we were okay. actually in a minivan. Okay. Uh, we we were in, a, in like a Dodge Caravan that we. It's another story, but um, we were sitting, he was sitting in the red light and like fell asleep. Oh, and, shit. and then like we got somebody called the cops on us, obviously, because we were there for like a minute and blocking traffic. Yeah, blocking traffic. <laughs> and the cops woke us up and like he was like, oh shit. And like, and they smelled weed in the car. They took us out of the car. They searched the car. You know, we literally had, um, our stash was like the DW40 cans at the bottom, yeah, you yeah. know, the bullshit stashes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, you know, that shit worked. We just had like a whole bunch of groceries on the back of the car and like had like, and, and when the cops used to come sometimes, we used to just fucking fling it to the back <laughs> and like, oh, have it in a Coke can. It was crazy. So man. what happened? Did, did they arrest you? No, nah, they would search the whole car and just and, and then just let it go and let us go. Really? Yeah. yeah. We they smell all the weed, so you sleep. They didn't find anything. Yeah. yeah. But wow. sometimes they would find something and we would go to the bookings overnight. Like we, we got arrested a few times together, you know, dumb shit like that. Oh, where they put you to central booking? And yeah, for weed. And they would never find the Coke. And like literally, yeah. you know, they would take the car and put it, they, they put it in this garage. I forgot what, like every precinct has like a garage. That, like know, an right. like a lot. Yeah. yeah. And, and we would go back to the car and our Coke would be there. Wow. Like I'm surprised they didn't put the dogs. dogs yeah. Yeah. No, we, we never got the dogs on us. He never Yo, got the dogs They on. probably thought you guys were just a bunch of kids. Yeah, just a bunch weed. of kids smoking weed. Yeah. And just hanging out. Well, at that point, how old were you? And like 17, 18. Okay. Yeah. So. They didn't think like, oh, these guys are drug kingpins. Like, you know. They knew that we were making money. They knew that we were selling coke. I didn't, I don't know, you know, if cops were communicating with each other, but we had the fifth and the seventh precinct. And I remember that the fifth precinct, like, you know, there was detectives coming up to me on the corner and be like, yo, we know you, you making money out here. Get the fuck out of the block. I remember one guy, this guy was like Detective Vasquez or some shit. I don't know. And he comes up to me. It was like five in the morning and I'm sitting in the milk crate. I got like $4,000 in my pocket and I'm like just counting my money in the, in the stupa on 118 Eldridge. And, um, and he's like, yo, you made a lot of fucking money. I've been watching you all night. You know, this is Detective Vasquez from the 5th Precinct. You get the fuck out of here. If you hear the next album, I'm going to lock your ass up. And I'm like, good night. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm out. I'll be back in the next morning. <laughs> yeah. And you went back the next and morning? I was there. I was always there. But I would have been so paranoid after yeah. that. And nah, I would, I would not have the drugs on me. So I will just like put the drugs. I thought like, you know, when you're a kid, like you don't have the drugs on you. It's not yours and, you know, whatever. Um, I mean, they could have just recorded me because it was it was just like a simple operation that was like being like it was pretty obvious what you know what I was doing. And you remember that block used to stink. Broom and Eldridge was like the stink. I, I think, think it still does, right? It, it, it smells a little bit better, but it, it was smell like they had the poultry food out on um, on the street. And so it smelled like yeah. like dead mm -hmm. bird and chicken on that block. Yeah. So we used to get like mistoline and like scrub the block down. And the cops used to be like, yo, it smells better. You know, you got to do what you got to do.
Wow. And they used to let me rock. Yeah, like it was it was crazy. Yeah, because that's where they're bringing all the all, all the uh, chickens. All the chickens. The live pool, the live chickens. Yeah. yeah. At its apex, how many people did you have under you? Uh, I was probably like twenty three people around there. I know and, it was twenty over twenty. And people. how did they get compensated? Uh, so basically, we had a uh, uh, G packs. Uh, no, what's that? G pack. So ba- basically, I had um, everybody would get twenty four bags. Uh, and that'll be a G pack. And so from the G pack, you get, you know, that's a thousand dollar pack. Um, it'll be $1,200 pack, but they'll get $200. Okay. Um, and sometimes we'll cut deals, you know, so sometimes the, the runner will come back with 900 bucks out of the G pack, you know, cause it, so basically every bag was 50 bucks. So we would do like 0.5 at that time. We were doing like 0.5, um, a bag, 0.5 grams, which mm-hmm. is a half a gram for 50 bucks. And then, a whole grandma will be a hundred bucks. And so 20 times, um, you know, 50 would be a thousand. And then they had four bags for themselves as profit. And so we would just be sending them to the destinations through next house. And so we would just like clicking them away. Like, Hey, yo, go to, I don't know, 34th and park go, you know, I don't know, everywhere. It, the phones never stopped ringing. It was just like nonstop fucking ringing. That's and, crazy. And, um, and that's how we operated, man. It was just crazy. And how much were you making? So we were seeing like $5 million in revenue. Um, a year? A year. Yeah. 23 people. Yeah. $5 million. Yeah. And we were, Joey and I were like splitting like $2 million each. And uh, the worker cost us about a, a, about a million. So 20% would, would go to the workers. Yep. Not bad. We were getting, we had a rig. Great connect. <laughs> and that's a total revenue, or is that like profit? Two, uh, uh, two million. No, each? that that would be profit. Five yeah. million profit. Yeah, no, four million profit. Four million profit. at a at a like five point something, you know, in revenue. That's good profit margins, man. Yeah, yeah, no, it was yeah. I mean, I was paying like twenty twenty thousand dollar key, sometimes a little bit less, and we're bringing a hundred thousand dollars on on a key. Yeah, how much does a key usually cost? Uh, Normally, I mean, right now I have no idea. Back uh, back then, back then. Back then, you were probably getting a key, probably like 25, 26, 27. Oh, so you yeah. got like 20% off. Yeah. Well, we were, we were, we were, tra- because, we were traveling. Oh, <laughs> we that's were, how you guys got to. We, we were doing some stupid shit. <laughs> and you guys would bring them on the plane? Yeah. <laughs> shit like that. Holy shit. You weren't scared. Yo, Yo, one time when I was a kid, I bought a snake in Florida. Yeah. And I had to bring that. <laughs> that's contraband. I bought a little like a little corn snake guard the snake <laughs> yeah, yeah. you put it in your pocket or and something? i put him i put it like in one of those because my dad had a restaurant yeah so i put it in one of those wonton containers <laughs> and i just poke holes in them and, I, and it was just a little baby snake and i put it in my cargo pants and i was terrified well i was i was uh yeah i mean i'm gonna tell you how it went down like i we would get kids to bring them over to they were like 14 15 year old kids um from you know different places and they were coming with a lot of shit in their underwear. And uh, and I was hopping on planes, too, going to different states. Um, so I, I had a spot in Vermont. To buy? No, to sell. To sell? Yeah. So I was I was taking shit on a plane to sell in Vermont. And Why? Oh, were you, oh, you doing, like, you're selling in bulk in Vermont? Yeah, I was okay. selling in bulk in Vermont. But uh, the profit, the turnaround was crazy. I had I just dropped it off and got the money, and I was making, like... 
I was getting like $40,000 on a key that was, you know, I was doubling up right away. And so, and I was coming back in two days, you know, so it was just in and out, you know? Um, and it was, it was great. That, that was crazy. And that, and, and how that fucking whole journey started was just crazy. It all started on Eldridge or Broom. <laughs> like the connect, like that connection. Well, that, uh, no, I'm talking about the Vermont connection. It was like some girl that was like, she got smacked by some dude from Smith and, and he was on a corner arguing with her and she was crying, but she looked, she was, she was bad. Like she, she looked good, you know? So I, I went up to her and I was like, yo, you okay? Da, 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 da. <laughs> so we, I started rapping to her. I got her number and she had a friend with her. And so we, me and my boy, Joey, uh, we, and we were living in Campos on 12th and C. Um, he, so this is where Joey, I like, grew up in the projects over there. So, and I was I was like renting a room from him. So we um go back, we started smoking with them, and he like went with his girl with, with her friend into the room. And I'm I stood out in the living room with the other girl and we're just smoking and hanging. And it was like five in the morning. And she was like, Yo, I came down here to, you know, get some coke. Do you know where I could get some? And she didn't know, she didn't know I was selling coke. Uh-huh. And um and I was like yeah I got I got you and she was I was like yo how much you need she was like yo I need three hundred grams can you get get to me Ooh. and I'm like I didn't have it at that time but I was like yo let me call my boy I'm gonna go get it for you it was five in the morning I hit up my boy I pick up the coke from Brooklyn uh I got like three hundred grams went off me and her drove all the way to Vermont Joey woke up like at eight and. And eight nine in the morning he's like yo where the fuck you at you fucking disappear with this girl you know blah 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 we got to get to work all this shit and i'm like yo i'm in vermont he's like what the fuck bye and so i go all the way over there i come back with mad fucking money he's like how the fuck <laughs> <laughs> i come back with like 10 g's you know profit for myself or some shit like like some crazy shit like that and and then he um and and I was like yo she wants more, and oh. so it was just like back and forth, and so that's oh. at that time is when we had you know my boys like I, I needed more people to manage the block because I was doing this traveling and I'm getting on planes with fucking half a keys keys, bro going, you got you got like balls it like was, it's, I mean. But before I did, you didn't get on this machine crazy. in the airport that you put your arms up and oh, all yeah, that shit. Oh, yeah, that's right. You just go through the metal that's detector. Right. So yeah. for me, it was just like, is it my nuts? Nobody's going to, you know, nobody's going to stop me if I don't ring. Right. And so I just make sure I didn't fucking ring. I make sure I don't have a belt on. I, you know, I went through it and I was coming back with like forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 in my pockets. Where were you putting all this money? I, I used to were buy you, like, like, I used to buy some sneakers. Mattress? I used to buy some sneakers when I was over there, and that's how, like, traveling back, I would, like, stick it in the sneakers. and, and But, like, money. at home, like, how do you keep millions of dollars at home? It's, it's sneaker boxes. And, I know you uh, didn't open, open, like, a Chase bank account. And put I, it in I had, there, like. I had uh, like, four bank accounts, but I didn't, I didn't have a lot of money in there. Yeah, so you would keep everything at home? Yeah, in different places, yeah. Around the house? Not the house, but, but like, different, different places. stash houses. Yeah. Stash houses. Man, that's a crazy gig. It was crazy. At any point, you didn't feel like someone was going to like rob you, or because in that game, it's it it can be very dangerous when you start getting big. So 
either from the law or from people from we, the streets i mean we did get robbed um we did get robbed i didn't but i i didn't think we were gonna get robbed because we were like we're not messing around with people in the streets we were dealing with like you know hipsters hipsters wall street people like and at the same time when pe- people usually in our area where we grew up they don't when, when they see a white person right away they're like oh that's a cop that's exactly. a cop and then they want to stay away from them yep and so but we you, were you like, you guys did the opposite. Yeah, we did the opposite. We were like, I know this You're person's like, oh, that, not a fucking cop. That's they, a good customer. They was just smoking weed in a bar and like drinking and they, they fucking rolling on the ground like they fucked up. You know, that's a customer. You know what I mean? So we just uh, changed our char- target market and wasn't scared. Of, you know, the myth was like, and, and back in the day, anybody that came up to you, you know, was probably a cop, you know, growing down here, growing up here. And, um, you know, I just, I just knew they were not fucking cops because they were little kids, like they were, you know, they were young, kids, you young, and they were all fucked up. You know, so you know, actually, I don't know. I've seen some cops that look like, super young, like twenty one. They, they look, yeah, they look like teenagers. I've seen some cops, yeah, yeah. and uh, they, they would have, I guess, they were undercover or detectives because they had the the necklace badge. And so, and, and so, that's look, how they look, like I knew. they look like high school kids. A lot of the times, they would have the beads. They would change, you know, and I've I've been approached so many times by undercover cops with the bead with that with the chain because mm-hmm. I know they had, they had the the beaded necklaces, yeah, right? the beaded yeah. ne- the the metal beaded necklaces, and you could tell like, yo, that's a fucking cop, like yeah. get the fuck out away from me. Yeah, it's the same one for those of you listening. It's like uh, same ones that kind of hold the dog tags. Yeah, like the dog uh, marine yeah. army tags. Yeah, yeah. So so that's how you would differentiate if you see a beaded necklace, you would cut it. No, a couple times I saw that and I was like, nah, I'm not fucking with this dude. So you noticed like certain things. That's the red flags. Yeah, the red flags. Yeah. There was a few times where there, you know, uh you remember the cab that was you know, that was like uh undercover detective. AK forty seven? Yeah, AK forty seven. Yeah, that's the way you saw it? Yeah, yeah. No, there was like T W forty seven, there was uh six W, I don't know, some shit. Um, yeah. But they, you they know, were, it's done too because it's so blatant. They either have so, the older model cabs, oh, yeah. or they would have the big antennas coming out, or the yeah. or the big lights on the side. Like, dude, yeah, come on, and like, it will creep mad slow. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you driving through the parks to you, you know, you know, know, real yeah. yellow taxis do not slow down for they sure. Drive yeah. by, they drive right. They cruise on Forsyth. I know, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> you're not yeah. picking anybody up <laughs> on Forsyth in the yellow cab, and so. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I remember one time, like they they pulled up on a corner of Broom and Aldridge, and I'm in the front of the bodega, and this lady uh, comes out of their cab in the back of the cab, and she's like, "Hey, do you know where I could score some candy?" And I'm like, "Who the fuck speaks like that?" You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's gotta be a cop. <laughs> and um, and I saw the fucking cab in the corner, and sh- and I was like, "Yeah, I got you." And and so I went up to the the. The lady on the counter, I was like, yo, ella, ella necesita candy. You know, so I tell her, like, <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, oh, cho- chocolate, Snickers. And, and she was like, no, no, I need like, some, I, I need some drugs. And I was like, oh, I, I can't help you. I'm sorry. And uh, I, I walked out with her and I just see her getting in the fucking back of it. I'm like, yo, oh. this, yo guys are mad fucking obvious, <laughs> yo. Like, man, hot. Did you ever feel any sense of fear? Uh, for me, I just didn't give a fuck, you know. So it, it was straight up like live young, die young. I, I, I mean, just kind of go hard. <laughs> I, I don't was, care. It like, was uh, I wanted to live, yeah, live fast, die young. But I of. also, I also knew the the repercussions of what I was doing, you know, because I I never had. 
at, you know, at a certain point, I had a lot of work on me. But most of the time, when I was like running around the streets, pretty reckless and not really watching my back, I had a little bit of coke on me. You know, and anything under like uh, a eight ball size, three point five grams, you'll be charged for it with a misdemeanor, slapping a wrist. You know, so I knew I was gonna be like, hey, all right, I'll maybe get a like an inpatient drug program or some shit like that, and you know, I'm done. Um, and so I knew the repercussions and the, and the law pretty well that I knew that I was like, hey, I, I can't have this amount of work on me or I'm going to get knocked. Okay, so there, there was some thinking going yeah. into it where you felt confident. If I get caught, it's not going to be as bad and yeah. I could be right back out and continue my operations. Yeah. So you, I guess you were just kind of finding the, the legal loopholes for mm-hmm. the minimum damage. Yeah. So that, in a way, you felt like you were outsmarting the system. Yeah. But there was never a moment where you, as your business started to grow and expand, you didn't think that you, you caught the eye of like the higher ups, like the FBI or, or people investigating. Like I, I, I felt some type of energy like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there were certain times where I felt it, and and I was right, and I should have like trusted my gut and like, you know, and, and dealt with it. But you know, there was times where I just didn't give a fuck. Like I was just, I, I just thought I was invincible and I was just like, I was unstoppable and, and all the shit. But then there was also like times where I'd been stopped. Like I remember going up to Vermont and I had a half a brick on me. I have a half a kilo of Coke, which would have like got me in the feds. I'm shut down. I'm not coming home for a very long time. It's a lot of weight. Uh, and I got caught in the New York state side crossing over to the bridge and so i have all this work in my underwear of my boxes i had i'm smoking weed in this old fucking car i have like this like guy next to me that's you know we're cold driving and um it's like four or five in the morning we get pulled over because I ran out of fucking gas. There was no gas station. There was no Google, so you don't know where the fucking That's next right. ga- gas That's station is. Right. And I remember we're, we're going down like a 25, 30 mile per hour zone. And I was trying to catch all the hills. You know, so I was like turning off the fucking car and like catching a hill. I've been there. <laughs> and, like, and just cranking it back, you know, like. And so I'm like oh, trying shit. to push it and... uh and at one point, it went. I, I did like 40 on a 25, and I get pulled over, and I'm like, fuck. And I had, I remember I had like six bags of weed in my back pocket. Um, and I had an eight, you remember the Avrex jackets? Yeah, dude. And so I, I had one. I pulled the, the, the weed and I put it on my sleeve, you know, because it was thick. And so I had a sweater. Wait, so you had you had the weed in your Avrex jacket? No, I had it and, in my back pocket, in my back like jean pocket. And then you stuffed it into and my, you stuffed it into your Avrex jacket. Uh, yeah, in my sleeve of the Avrex like, jacket right here. So when you felt it, it was like the, the it felt like leather. part of the padding. Yeah, just the padding of the leather. Now, did you have like a, a inner zipper in the sleeve, or was it? Oh, mm-hmm. so you just stuffed it loosely. I just stuffed in there. it because I was just like, "Fuck! If, if I'm gonna get caught, I'm gonna get knocked for like a bag of weed. The dude's gonna make this shit a big deal." I had like I don't know, like six bags of weed or something like that. And so he pulls us in the back of the car. He's like, "What? Where, where are you guys going?" I was like, "Yo, my girlfriend goes to Burlington University. You know, uh, you know." blah 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 uh and and that was the story and then um and he was like why were you speeding i was like we just ran out of gas like da 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 he was like get on the get on the hood of the car so he started searching me 
one bag of weed dropped in my back pocket. No. And so he pulls the bag of weed out. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, I screamed. I was like, fuck this fucking bitch. She made me grab a bag of weed for her officer. I'm so sorry. Yo, please, yo, just throw it away. Da, 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 da. He was like, calm down. I was like, he was like, do you have anything in the trunk? And, and like, he opened up the trunk and searching. There was nothing there. I was like, look, here, we just, like, my girl made me bring her back. We, I didn't want to do it, man. And the, while I'm telling him the story, my fucking, the coke is falling off my pants. Like, the, my underwear <laughs> is slipping down. Sliding to your and shoes. And so I'm like, yo, officer, I, need, I really need to take a piss. I really need to take a piss. He was like. I go to the fucking bush and pee. And so I go to the back of the tree and I'm just like stuffing the shit, like like making sure it's not coming out of my fucking boxer briefs. And I come out and he's like, yo, I'm, you know, today's your lucky day. I'm just going to write you a ticket for the weed. And he wrote me a ticket and I had to actually drive like six hours north to fucking pay that ticket one day. But it was crazy. But that's it. That was crazy. Yeah. That's the best case scenario. Yeah. I got so Dude, lucky. that's like a fucking movie, man. <laughs> Yeah, like so as I'm listening to your story, I'm going, "Holy shit!" Like if I'm watching a movie, I'm like, "No, oh my gosh!" Like <laughs> I had the half a brick of coke oh, in my underwear. I had like a half a kilo. <laughs> Can you imagine in that? my underwear? And the weed falls walk. out, and then the coke falls out. <laughs> yeah, he's like walking, and then just slips out. Yo, it was crazy, bro. You, I got very lucky. That is, I, I don't. That's bananas, man. But I got, I got caught eventually. <laughs> Where we grew up, it was, it was gang infested. Yeah infested with gangs and and there's also a lot of people that are low income mm-hmm. lower class you know all of you know mostly everyone living in that part of new york city at that time and if we saw somebody with brand new sneakers or wearing the newest clothes avrex yeah. they got the jordans on or the the new air max or if they got they're pulling up in a, a, a foreign car, mm-hmm. you know, a German car uh, or yeah. a souped up car. You know, there's a lot of questions to start going and, and jealousy, too. Oh, yeah. Did any other gangs ever try to approach you like, hey, you're going to give us a cut if you're going to sell in our area? Nah, nah. But I did get in, into fights. Like, I remember. But this was like before i started selling to like all the hipsters and shit when i was just standing on the corner like hustling you know on the block um yeah when i was like going to sewer park you know back in the day like that high school was like i don't know how it is right now but like there was so many gangs in that school that and there was so many fights every day in that school and 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 i was selling weed in that school so i got into fights because of that too so it was because just, the other the other kids didn't want you to sell the weed. Yeah, there. there was like the blood kids. There were the you know different gangs in there. Mm-hmm. You know that was hustling, and you know we got into arguments and fights. And I was I didn't fucking stop hustling. And mm-hmm. and I remember one day one day, um, I don't know. I couldn't even sell drugs on my mom's block on Rivington and Eldridge. Like there was one guy that was running the block, and. Uh, one of his workers came to my block to buy drugs and then he started dealing with me like he started dealing for me and um and the guy was like yo why are you dealing with this well one of my guys blah 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 and i'm like yo he fucking you know he had money he wanted to deal with me blah 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 and so you know he bought shit off of me but and so he's like yo don't do that shit i was like you know fuck you so he he sucker punched me uh right on the corner and and this dude was big like i'm just a little fucking punk on the street and he's he was like six two 
and I just I took his legs, dropped him, started punching him. And like I remember his friends like pulled me off his back and they just held me down while you know the big six two guy yeah and and, and he I was, started i was it. five five six yeah, and he's a know. grown man yeah and so i went i remember i had a little 38 uh, and uh i went back a little little burner and i went back to the block to go get it and then came back and i was like you know let me catch this motherfucker i was just so angry yeah, you know yeah. like uh but a lot of people respected me you know a lot of people respect so what happened did you catch him like i didn't i didn't catch but then i he caught me um you remember that i mean there's a barber shop still there but there was a barber shop on allen street and i remember i'm I'm getting a cut uh in the barber shop i'm in the chair this guy's like oh that's a gangster movie right yeah and well he didn't he didn't the barber was not trying to cut me but the dude approached me while i was in the barber shop compromising position and and i'm like and he's like yo let me talk to you outside and so i go outside. the same guy the the big six two guy so i I go outside i even had the fucking you know the fucking the cloth on cloth on me so even if i'm trying to say like he's got got cream on his face (laughs) yeah i like you know i couldn't even fucking move but i i he came he approached me and i knew this guy for years like wait did you have your 38 on you no i didn't have anything on me and i knew i knew this guy for years like i me and him grew up you know he's older he went to school with my sister and and sword okay back in like the early 90s and shit and and his dad you know were friends with my dad so like he approached me he's like yo yo you know, come talk to me. And I go outside the barbershop and he told me the story with the kid that was, you know, hustling for him, but was now hustling for me. So that guy, you know, sent like dudes from uptown with guns to his parents' house to rob him. And, you know, they, they almost tied up his family and all this shit. And it was like a whole thing. Like he backs. And so I, I, he thought I was a part of that whole shit. And I was like, nah, I'm not. You know what I mean? I'm, I don't deal. Like, I'm not grimy like that. Like, I wouldn't fuck with Oh, he thought you were part of, like, a whole the whole breaking and entering. Yeah, thing. like. Because at one point, Elias, it was big. There was so many yeah. little crews doing B&Es. Yeah, so. and it was just crazy. Um, but, yeah, we we squashed it there and, we you know, moved on. And that was it. Wow. So no gangs ever came up to you? That's crazy. No. Nah. That's crazy. Yeah. Because you must have been like famous in that community, right? Because you had the the cars, the clothes. Yeah, I mean, everybody was looking at me like I was I was driving some crazy shit. Sometimes, you know, I had a I had a fucking crazy M three, you know. So people knew of your, I guess, reputation. So you, you, people knew that you were carrying. So you know, you're protected. Yeah, but they were also like I. I I don't know, like the dudes on my, like Mons Block, Stanton, all that shit, like all those, that whole crew over there also like made money with me. Mm. Like I was also like doing, you know, we, we were making money, we, even though we couldn't stand in each other's corners and like I was not like on their block, like even though like I was probably standing on the corner one time, but I was not dealing on their corner. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, so there's, you know, there was they like needed, a they needed 100 grams here, yeah. 100 grams there, like yo, you know, I'm gonna go get it for you, and you know, I'll make a cut. You got mm-hmm. a cut. You know, so you guys stuff. did business business indirectly, exactly. Where they where they saw you as useful, exactly. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about street people. Mm-hmm. You're not worrying about the feds or the law right now at this point. So those are two big barriers usually mm-hmm. in the drug game, right? Neither of those things, but now you got to look at in house then. 
mm-hmm. right? Because usually when if if the ex, you don't have to deal with that, and that's a luxury to not have to deal with the exterior shit, yeah. but the interior shit inside your house, mm-hmm. you know, there's when people start looking at your operations, naturally they go, "Yo, I could do this shit too," mm-hmm. right? Or they'll go, "Man, fuck costs." Yeah, I see the bitch. Did that happen at any point, or were you also like, was that also good for you? Yeah, no, that was not good for me, and that's how that's how. So there was jealousy within yeah. inside your brass. Yeah, that's how everything went down. That's how you know. That's how I got caught. Uh, you not know. Joey, right? Joey was your right hand man. Joey, uh, yeah, me and him still we still tight. I mean, I'm not seeing him every day. He's doing some stupid, crazy shit <laughs> still. But is he now? He you said he went to jail. He came home. He came home. Uh, when was it? Um, late last year. Oh, good for him. Yeah, he came home late last year. Uh, he has his own plumbing company, and um, he tried to work with me with Combody, mm-hmm. uh, but his parole officer, well, not his pro, uh, work release officer didn't allow him to because um, we were like co-defendants in a case or some shit, and it was, it was stupid. So he wanted, the, he probably wanted to, him to keep a space for me to, yeah, in case yeah. you guys come up with any smart ideas <laughs> creative <again>. ideas right? <laughs> <laughs> who was it was it somebody in your inner circle somebody that you guys were close to yeah or was it just some guy that you hired that said you know what let me usurp him yeah it was it was some dude that we we knew for years like we uh he went he, he lived in 45 allen you know what i mean like he went to is 131 you you know what i mean so like so somebody that you guys knew your like whole life. We know practically my whole life. You know what I mean. I didn't start hanging out with him until I was like a early teen, maybe fourteen, fifteen. But um, you know, we he, he, Joey knew him way longer than me. You know, they they, they grew up together, and so he um, he was not a stupid kid. He you know went behind our backs to try to start a, a service behind our back while he was our dispatcher. So at one point. You know, the operation was running so smooth where we had different shifts of drivers. We had uh, two dispatchers. Uh, we, we had a condo on the Upper West Side where the dispatcher was, like, handling all the the drugs. He was giving out the, the 24 packs, the G packs, and then, like, answering the phone. So, basically, like, when a driver is, like, running out, they'll go to the stash spot, you know, pick up the G packs from him. And he's still answering phones and communicating with people. Um Long story short, he uh, he tried to start a new service behind our back. So he takes a phone. He he, he starts stealing our customers. He got his cousin uh, as one of the drivers, and his cousin is handing out the cards to this new phone. And so the cousin doesn't know that you know some of the customers are like really old customers that have my personal number. So one one guy Dominic he hits me up. And he's like, yo, buddy, like, yo, this, I got some, like, purple bag. I forgot what color he said. And he's like, it's just not the same shit that you guys usually sell. I'm like, what? Like, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about, purple bag? Because we only sold clear bags. And he was like, yeah, I got some shit. You know, it, it's it's hurting my nose. Blah, blah. So I'm like, yo, Whoa. are you sure you called my people? He's like, yeah. And, and they gave me a new number. And I'm like, what's that number? And so I got that number. I called it, and this dude picked up my dispatcher. And I'm like, yo, who the fuck is a word? <laughs> Shit. Done. You done. And so yo. I remember going to, we had we had a connect with the T-Mobile store. It was like one of those 
you know, Boost Mobile stores yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and T-Mobile stores and shit. And so they shut the phone. We had, it was all prepaid phones. So we shut the phones down, uh, opened up new lines on new phones. And so he had no way of connect. And then I took his phone that he opened up and I shut that one and opened it up. And so I'm running the services now. Me and Joey are running the services now. Not like... The mo- okay. motorcycle back. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to New York. Yeah, yeah. We get police sirens, ambulance, <laughs> motorcycles. Yeah. Yeah. And then oh. to the ambiance. Yeah. Wait, so they took, that guy took your business model and essentially mimicked it. Well, he tried to just steal the customers away from me. Uh, right. But he also was trying to, yeah, mimic my model where he was like handing out cards. And one of the cards ended up in a federal uh, a, a detective or agent, I don't know, some DT. Um, Mm -hmm. got the card his card and so you know after we shut him down and now me and joey are like not trusting anybody and i had somebody else like operate the phones that we really trust like it we started operating with that phone that we took away from him and so that phone was being tapped by the feds what and so we're sending our own drivers because we we think we thought like yo he's trying to steal our customers so every person that has that new number has to be our customer Mm -hmm. not knowing that you know a, a fed ran into that number he didn't snitch he didn't tell anybody but he gave you know his cousin gave out a card to some random person that was a fed and they had uh at the end of the day we did like 40 sales direct to them um and so it was like a whole year investigation while the whole thing is going down um one of my drivers bumps into one of the agents and one of the, one of the agents is asking him like hey i need i need i need a large amount of work like i want i want like you know 50 grams six you know want, he said i want 100 grams or something like that and so anything above 60 grams you get indicted for like an a1 felony a2 felony um and so that's what they wanted to trap us but i never went over you know single amounts bullshit bags which couldn't get us more than uh you know a a c felony at the end of the day and so one of my drivers went behind my back you know got work i had no idea this was going on and uh and he sold them you know probably like 130 grams i don't know how much it was exactly but he went over to some other dude how did he even get that much though so he knew some other people and some other people. So it was like, his own his own deal then. Yeah, it was he his own deal. Cut you but guys. I was I was no. He was, yeah, he went behind my back to do that deal. But the Fed is thinking he's connected to you guys. To me, yeah. And, and you're the one that okay, that, you greenlit it. Yeah, and I'm getting supposedly that work to me. And so there was this black guy in the case that I had no idea. His name was Ty. He he. When we all get locked up, that day we got locked up. I'm seeing this dude, and he's like. And and this and this other guy we used to call Sensei, like Sensei used to be like, um, and he, he started talking to the other guy, Ty, and I'm like, who the fuck is Ty? And he's on the other side of the cell. He's like, yo, that's my boy. You know, he got caught in this shit up too. And I'm like, what? And then I just started like reading. After a while, I was like locked up and lawyers like telling me like all the information. I'm like, I had nothing to do. I don't know what the fuck was going on there. Uh, but how we really got knocked was that, you know, one of my drivers, uh, basically told, 
Das That's so all of that wasn't enough to indict you. It was enough to like get me on like bullshit uh, bullshit case that okay. wouldn't be But they would have probably lost because they No, couldn't. they would have they would have won, but I would have probably got like 5 years, 3 years the most. Like really they were trying to put me as like a kingpin status. Okay. Like almost like Rico. They're yeah. trying to get yeah, you that, Rico, yeah. on Rico. So one of your drivers, so I guess they caught him probably on and he didn't want to do a little bit of time. So he got caught with selling one bag to them. I knew it's always that they always get them for a little one, thing. One little fucking bag. He, he would have got a fucking slap on a wrist, probation, yeah, probation. And um, but he they, didn't know. He's like, he oh shit, know. I'm he, scared. And then he life. was also uh, an immigrant oh, from the Dominican yeah, Republic. Yeah, so they're throwing him with a deportation. He has a kid over here, family, and all this shit. So yeah, he basically told. He 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 said everything. You know, he knew where the stash was at. In the, I had a Bronx uh, stash house in the Bronx. You know, and and they um they came while I was in there. They had a warrant, and they just you know they found me with a, uh, a kilo and a half, all bagged up, and that was it. Did they catch you? Now, how did they catch you? Were they, were they like, were you guys all together? At the stash house? Or? No, they so they how they were catching me was basically I was sending one driver at a time uh to different destinations. Okay. And so So you had the couriers out. So I had the drivers yeah. out. It was about ten drivers at that night. Um eight of them got knocked and, and two of them didn't, didn't that night? That night. But uh, wouldn't you know if none of them are talking to you? Or? So you remember when the next tells used to like freeze up and he used to be like, bing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bing. Yeah, yeah. So it if you don't hear that, doo -doo, yeah, yeah, it was not going through. So yeah. I thought it was a problem with next tell. And so I'm like sending my drivers like, like, yo, go to 24th and 5th. And like, and then when they would get there, they'd be like, yo, send them out. I'm on the northeast corner, southeast corner, west. You know, that's, that's how we operate it. And so I would call the drive, uh, call the the customer back, and be like, "Hey, my guy's on a, you know, on a, in a blue Impala on the northeast corner on the 24th and 5th, you know, in front of a ride it or some shit." And they'll go out, get a, get in the back of the car, serve them, drive a block, and then that's it. They'll go to the next destination. Um, so I was doing that, and I was sending my drivers, but all of them were like catching that click. And I'm, as I was sending them to destination to destination, it just, nobody was getting delivered. So now at this time, it was Thursday night, I had about 40 people and I had an easel board where I would like just write their first name, you know, like just keep track, you know, what they bought, blah, blah, blah. And um, every time I sent somebody, I got that click and... You didn't, you just thought it was the network down. I thought it was the network down. But they were like people, like the and, feds were listening. And so, yeah, the feds were listening and they were capturing them. As, uh, so I was sending them to that destination and then they were just picking them up and shutting oh, their phone shit. down. And so they, um, at the end of the day, they came and, and it's so basically, all right, so this is how it went down. I, I had, I had all these people to see. And I'm like, fuck it. I'm I'm gonna go out there and make the money myself. So I I grabbed like, I don't know, probably like a hundred over like a hundred bags from the stash house. I put it in my underwear. <laughs> I go downstairs. As soon as I get open the M3 door, like 
they just fucking jumped on back of me and like well no it was it was uh so basically there was a detective joseph king i remember this shit like it was yesterday white dude in the south bronx he fucking i'm walking out the house and he he says call smart and i'm like the, who the fuck is you he's like there's there's the a dea um drug enforcement agency agent uh joseph king yeah whole operation is over i'm like get the fuck out of here so i like i got i <laughs> turned like this is prank <laughs> yeah because it was one dude and i'm like yo what the fuck get the fuck out of here so i'm like i'm bounce i'm like trying to run <laughs> And uh, and I, and as soon as I open my car door, they just tackle me behind me. And uh, where they come from? Like from? I, just well, like, they definitely have people. Yeah, like, like hidden. Yeah. 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 And they took me. And uh, yeah. And 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 then well, when I was out there, they said uh, we have a warrant for the house. They went inside the house. They found. Uh, and they were trying to find the shit. I remember. Oh, having, so they had the warrant when they arrested you already? Yeah. 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 So oh, they were damn. coming in the house while I was going out, basically. Wow. So they they were gonna come raid the house, but they were I was leaving the house. Right. And they caught me outside and then they brought me in and they were like, yo, uh, we we know there was like, where's the drugs at? And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And I'm I'm have like a hundred bags of coke in my underwear. There's like what? there's like a brick and a half <laughs> in there. I have I have like two guns that they didn't find, and then I had like a pound of weed that they they found too. And um, and so they uh they go inside to the room, and they were like, "Where's it at?" And I'm like, "I don't have shit." And so they go to the corner. I had like. I don't know. I, I, I when I came home, I had like five hundred pairs of Jordans, and so <laughs> they went to uh, the exact Jordan box where the drugs is at. What? <laughs> How did they? Did it stand out in no, any way? No. Damn. It was like uh, it was all stacked. It was like the third Jordan box, and like they just pulled it out and opened it, and Yo, they were like, so "We know, it. we know everything. You ain't got to fucking lie." So they already knew. And so right away, I'm like. There's only three people that fucking know the stash. Mm. Oh. And so I already knew one one out of three. One person, uh, two of them didn't get caught. One person got caught. So I didn't, it was the driver that was in the in the, in the precinct with me. And we got to Central Brooklyn. So we're all in the same cell. I'm like, yo, who the fuck told? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yo, I'm going to take all the rap down. I'm going to take the whole rap. Like I got caught blank. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm done. You know, there's my third you know coke felony i got caught with drugs in the spot like at that time the strike three matter here like the, the when giuliani put that three strikes so rule. They, they took that rule out but they were trying to hit, hit me with the life uh sentence because they had the the rockefeller laws into play the rico so, the rico laws for no for so life? so basically Anybody that got caught with any anything over 60, 60 grams got life behind a sentence, whether it was like two to life, three to life, you know, they had, you know, life parole, basically. But you, you get hit on the board, so you could stay in prison, technically, if you don't do the right thing in prison, you, you could stay in there for life. And so I know people that had like two to life that were still there doing 10 years. And so they were trying to hit me with 15 a life. And so they were trying to hit me with that kingpin, kingpin charge. Yeah. Um, but while I was locked up, the the laws changed. So remember when Governor Spitzer uh, cheated on his wife with that yes. prostitute, mm-hmm. and he got impeached. 
Governor Patterson came in into play. And while I'm going back and forth to court, they changed the Rockefeller laws. So now everything was just a mandatory minimum sentence. So now I'm facing 12 to 24 years, anywhere between on a flat bid. And so now everybody's getting a flat bid. There's no more real life sentences and uh, not for drugs. And so my lawyer was like, yo, with these minimum sentencing laws, the best I could do is get you 12 years. And so I'm like, I, right, I'm going to get the 12 years and, and I'm going to be over. And I eventually got seven years and five parole. And so they split it like that. Was it, you struck a deal with them by pleading guilty? Or? Yeah, I, I pleaded guilty. But and that was a deal that, that your lawyer struck? Seven years, five seven years? Seven years and five parole. When, so you knew that prior to going in? No, no, I didn't. So he so didn't. you thought you were doing 12? I, was, I thought I was doing 12. I thought I was doing 12 flat and five on top of that. So when did you realize you were doing seven? I went to court and um, the DA threw the number out there. You must have been like, oh my gosh, I that's said music to my yeah, ears. I, said, I jumped on it. And oh. I remember my brother and my dad were in the, in the courtroom. And when they said that, I smiled and I looked back at them. And they thought I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I would think you're crazy too, man. If, if, if but you know, if I was, I'm your boy and I'm there, and then you turn around and smile at me. I'm like, yo, Cos, what the fuck is wrong with you? You crazy? <laughs> but I heard seven years, so I'm like, yo, I'm coming home. Like, you know, imagine spending a, a you know a decade in prison rather than yeah, yeah, I get you. you. Know, I get years. you. But if I didn't have, if I didn't know what you were thinking. And, and you turn around and smile. I'm like, yo, that's that's a joker right there. So you did exactly seven years, or did they give let you? No, a I, little I came home. Uh, I got. I came home in, in four. Oh, you did so, four years old. Yeah, I came home in four because I got. I was eligible three years into my uh, uh, sentence. I was eligible for shock. What's that? Shock is like six month military boot camp type of prison. So it's a prison. It's a medium facility. Well, you went to Rikers, right? But I went to Rikers. Rikers is just a holding cell. And so after Rikers, you you plead guilty and then you get sent upstate. And so I'm doing my time upstate and then I get a letter saying that, you know, because if you're... Um, so basically, my I, it was not the first time I was upstate. So my first time I was upstate, I got shock. So I had three years. They gave me six months on a shock. And so shock is like, Really strict program up there. Ex-Marines turn correctional officers. It's like a boot camp that, you know, they beat you down and you come and you, you work out the whole time and they try to reform you. Um, and so you before, you was only eligible to do it one time and ever. And so after Governor Patterson came into play, they changed that law and it was like you could do it as many times as you, you, you want as long as you have three years towards your release and so three years towards your earliest release and so my merit was up in like you know three years from there so i was like i took the program and i was like i'm, I'm gonna be home in six months so how it reduces it by 40 percent your time yeah so basically it depends so if like i have a 10-year sentence and i have three years towards my release so and 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 Time is different in prison. So basically, if you have a drug charge, every year is eight months. Oh, really? Yeah. Eight, Why is that? It's just the law. And then any, uh, and if you have a violent charge, uh, every year is 10 months. A year doesn't so, equate to a whole year. 
yeah, prison time whole, is not real time. Like, yeah, yeah. well, technically it is because you could do the whole time mm-hmm. if you max out, but you have to do something like really stupid and like right. you know, like you know, fuck up an officer or you know, like get into some real shit, and then you're probably gonna max out. But and and even with that, if you do that early on in your sentence, like, and you start doing well, you know, through oh, like let's say if you do ten years and in the first two years you fuck up. You know, and they're like, all right, you're going to probably hit the board and, like, not come home till 10 years, actual 10 years. Um, but if you do well, you, you get out, you know, 10 months a year. If it's a violent charge, if it's a nonviolent charge, it's eight months a year. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's complicated. It's, it's, well, it's <laughs> sort of like you're knocking time off the board if for good behavior, right? Sort exactly. Like yeah. So exactly. there's an incentive not to act wild. Yeah. Now, the shock program, you said it's, it's a six-month military-type program. Yep. So I guess you're doing a lot of physical workouts. Yep. yep. Is there anything else that goes along with it? They're just telling you to do crazy pull-ups, runs, sprints, push-ups? So they, they, put, they do stupid shit, and it's a hands-on program. So if they tell you it's a hands-on program. So if you're not doing the rules, they, they put their hands on you. These officers, um, I'm talking about these are like white Marines. Hardcore most, guys. Most of them are racist. And, oh, shit. And they're calling you niggers, spick. Excuse my line. No, it's, that's, it's that's all, what they yeah. fucking called us. And, mm-hmm. like, you know, and, and and if you're not, like, I, you just got to shut up and do whatever the fuck they tell you to do and just keep your head down and just fucking move. Now, you know? are they saying that to just try to teach you discipline, to, to put you in your place and humble you guys? Or are they truly racist? I, both. Oh my gosh! But, Isn't that scary? Like, if if you know someone's racist, they basically hate you just the way they can't stand the way you look. Exactly. And then on top of that, you're a criminal, so you're double reinforcing their whatever mm-hmm. shit they believe in, mm-hmm. and they're looking at you, and, and you're allowing them to just abuse you. And some people from the streets, they're like, they can't take it. That's you know? the thing. So yeah, you know, we when when you go in the program, you start off with sixty people. Well, it's called shock, like S H O C K. Yeah, like they're shocking you. Okay. And, and so you start off with 60 people when you start the program, usually only like 20 graduate. So if you if you well, get kicked out of the program, you, you're going you go into the box and then uh, you restart the program if you want to. Wait, sometimes. time out. If you drop out of the program yourself, yeah, they put you in a box. Yeah. Like solitary confinement for the rest of the time. No, no. It, it depends what it, you know, it depends what, what happens. And, or maybe they transfer you to another prison, but they mm-hmm. you can stay in solitary confinement temporarily until you leave. Holy you shit. Know, some people stay for like a week, maybe. I got kicked out of the program and I had to restart over. So I sat in the box. Wait, so why did you, you get kicked out? So fucking, <laughs> this is where like my whole life changed and this is how I started Combody. You know, and and for those that don't know what combody is, uh, we call it a prison style boot camp where we hire people coming out of the prison system to teach fitness classes today. But that's where you started your own gym. And so yeah. I took the same um, a lot of the techniques that we did in shock, but I also learned it from my first bid and implemented it in my my second bid while I was in the yard. And I lost a lot of weight doing that while I was locked up. I bet. And so. I did I did that, but I, got, I went to the box because an officer was searching me really aggressively. And they do random searches over there. So they put me on the wall. He starts, you know, getting between my legs and I move my, like I twitch my waist while he was like, you know, trying to manhandle me. 
and he punched me behind my head and he said, don't fuck with me today. It's not my day. And as he punched me, like he, he, you know, when you punch somebody behind the head, you could get like. You get dazed. Yeah. And so I got dazed and I got knocked down on the ground. I was on the ground and I got up on him and I turned around on him. I didn't turn around on him to like hit him because I didn't want to lose my opportunity for the program. And I wanted to just, I had two months to go home. I had two months left to go Wait, home. Was this one of the uh, programs, like, shock guys? Yeah, the that military you? guys. Yeah, yeah, That was the dude that punched you? Yeah. Oh, snap. And so I got up, and I, I was, like, trying to avoid another hit. And um, he pressed a button in his walkie-talkie, and they, they have, like, this alarm that they have in his walkie-talkie. They call it the pen. And as soon as that, that button is pressed, the whole alarm for the whole prison goes off. About a half a dozen officers come to the scene. They beat the crap out of me and they throw me in the box. And it was not the first so time. So they I jumped was, you. Yeah. And so they they kick you. Yeah, I was on the floor in a fetal position and they just like beating me down. They that, cut. I bet you that felt like a felt like an eternity. Yeah. yeah it feels like a long time. Um, they cuff. And then me. they throw you in the box right afterwards. All right, they cuff me and they throw. No me medical in the box. attention. No medical attention. Not even checking, like, if they gave you brain damage or concussion? They, you see a medical uh, person comes to your cell after, like, 24 hours, within 24 hours. But what if you got some, like, hemorrhage and shit? That's too late. They're, they'll give that's you crazy. ibuprofen. That's that's basically what they get. That's what they do in prison, man. That's the only medication that they fucking recommend is ibuprofen. And so... I still, I was like, when the, I, I remember when the medical lady came up to my cell and she was like, oh, you okay? Everything okay? And I'm like, yeah, everything's good. Just get me out of here, y'all. I, you know, I didn't do anything wrong, blah, blah, blah. You know, put me back because I had two months left to go home. And it was oh, not the first time shit. I was in the box, but I was like, yo, fuck. Like, my son is waiting for me. Like, my whole family knew I was coming home in two months. And now I'm not coming home. So yeah. did, you, did your time get extended? So I had to do an extra year behind that. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. How long were you in the box for? Uh, 30 days at that time. And that was the longest time you've ever been in a box? So in and out of the box, I'd done 60 days. I'd done like a total of eight, mo- eight months from like juvie time, um, you know, my whole life. When you're in a box, explain this to me. You're in, I guess, what was it, like eight by eight? Uh, nine by it? six. Nine by six. Okay. Around there, ten by six. So kind of. And same shit. There's no stimulation for your senses there. Is there a window? So, uh, yeah, I've, I've been in cells where they have the windows. Um, I've been in rooms where there's nothing in there. Yeah. Uh, they, I've been in spaces where you have a bunkie. You know. Like in the box, you're in. You don't see anyone, and you're just in there for that amount of let's say 30 days you're just in there yeah, by yourself for yeah. 30 days and you take uh two showers a week so um sometimes uh, the the showers in yourself sometimes um you know i've been in different boxes so you know they this the one that box you basically get out it was like tuesday and fridays you get to take a shower um and so you, you walk down like the tier you know, with with a towel on and and your sandals, and they stick you and they they put you in another cell that has the shower, and you take a shower there for and you have twelve minutes. Oh man! Now, when at any point were you going crazy mentally? Were you kind of losing it while you were there? I was I was I was tight. I was mad. 
I was uh, frustrated at the fact that, you know, I was, I was supposed to go home. And because of the stupid incident that I did nothing wrong, you know, um, it was unprovoked. Yeah. Right. And so I felt I felt like a victim. But I also, you know, I felt like it, it, everything happened for a reason. Um, and so that at that moment, um, I remember in my cell when I got when I was placed in, I was pacing back and forth. And uh, and this officer comes up to my cell and and they you know where they feed you the food is a slot and so they open up the slot and he passes me you know a few envelopes uh paper and they have like this like bendable pen and so i grabbed that and i started writing a letter to my family letting them know i'm not coming home um you know i i need i need to get out of this situation and um and i remember at that time um I wrote out a crazy letter. I wrote like five pages, you know, back and forth. I, I, I enclosed it and then I realized I had no stamps to send out this letter with. And so I'm, a, I'm even more frustrated at the fact that I can't communicate. I'm trying to get, you know, to talk to my family, letting them know, like, I need some help. I need a lawyer. I need some some type of representation to get out of the situation, to go back to the program and, you know, leave in two months. And so your cops is coming. <laughs> um <laughs> But it was it was a frustrating time where I was like banging my head on the wall, and like literally, yeah, literally, I was sat on my bed and I was just banging my head on the wall. And um, I remember like four days sitting in there in the box. Uh, I got a letter from my sister, and my sister is like the most religious person I know. She's like Mother Teresa's child, you know, and she uh, she tells me to read Psalm 91 from the Bible. And I'm like, I'm not reading no fucking Bible. And she gave me this Bible early on in my incarceration and I never opened it up. The only reason I, I used it was to write phone numbers of my boys that were leaving. Uh, but I never read it. And, um, and she tells me to read this. And the only thing that follows you around in your whole prison sentence, whether you go to the box uh, wherever prison you go to or you get transferred is your Bible. They can't take that away. They can't take away your, your religious items. And so I had this Bible and um, and out of boredom, you know, probably sitting in the cell for like a week, I decided to open it up and I turned to Psalm 91. And as soon as I started reading it and I'm leaning on the bed like this on my back and I'm reading it and I turn to those pages a stamp fell out of my Bible. And it was a stamp that I needed to communicate with my family to let them know that I'm, I'm not coming home. Like that, that whole letter that I wrote out, you know. And I felt some type of hope. You know, I felt some type of, uh, I don't know. For me, it was like a miracle, you know. Um, and I felt like chills run down my body. And I, at that point, for the first time, I, I really started reading the Bible. And I'm still not like a, I don't go to church every week. I'm not a super religious person, but I believe in a higher power. And I read the Bible from front to back. And uh, I felt like what I was doing was wrong. Um, I felt regret for all the shit that I've done in the street and all the crazy stuff. And and I wanted to give back to society in a certain way. And, and, and the fit, the idea of fitness like popped up in my head. You know, I, I lost a lot of weight. I was loving working out and that helped 
guys work out in the prison yard. So I said, I want to do this when I came home. And so I started, you know, using the time that I had and I wrote out like a whole fake mini business plan in that cell. And I said I was going to start this prison style boot camp. And I wrote out like every routine. I actually came out with a book with it in 2018. And um, and and I started doing it. I came home a year later. I got re-entered into the program, did an extra six months, uh, sat an intake on the box and all that stuff for a little while. Um, and I came home and I started doing what I wrote. Wow. That's crazy. And, you know, it, it's... It's scary listening to this. It's, it's exciting. And, you know, I, you're like the bad guy in this, but you're also kind of like the good guy. Like, it's like a movie where I'm rooting for for this guy somehow to pull it because of the cir- circumstances led you to that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and as a kid, how many of us do make bad choices? Just that you were way more ambitious. That said, I mean, I can't help but feel like this is a movie the whole time I'm listening to you. It sounds like... You're telling me a story of a movie that that you saw, but this is your real life. <laughs> Has anyone ever approached you to do a movie? Yeah, I mean, I've I've had uh, I've had a lot of production companies hit me up to do like reality shows, movies, uh, you know, scripted series, all that shit. You know, but some of them are like crazy, ridiculous. Some, you know, they 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 jerk you. You know, um, it's crazy. I had one guy come up to me. And he has a he he had the he produced the uh, Biggest Loser, mm-hmm. you know that show. Yep. And so he wanted uh, he wanted to stick like five hundred pound people in prison cells and have me scream at them. And I'm like, oh, like a reality show with yeah. you as like the host. Yeah. And I'm <laughs> oh, like, nah, you bugging oh, out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I turned that down. Um, but yeah, no, I've been I've been approached left and right, you know, and I just want to make sure, like the the TV industry, man, it, it's that's the biggest crux right there, yo. They take advantage of people left and right, man, and you just got to be careful what you sign. Like how how did they try to take advantage of you? Um, you know, so I I've, I've been filming a a docu series with you know a pretty famous director for the last six years, and. Um, She's been doing the right thing to me, but, you know, we, uh, I, well, I got approached by ABC and they hit me up and they were like, yo, you know, we want you to do this, um, this movie and we're going to get a, get a writer and all this stuff. And they, you know, they sell you a big dream, you know, they done this, they done that. And you're like, yo, this is the real deal right here. And so when the contract came to the table, they wanted to buy my life rights and they wanted to buy my life rights, which means like, yo, I, I have no control of my name. I have no control of my image. Like anything that's put out there and people are paying me for it, they get a percentage. Even if I put my name on a T-shirt, they get a percentage off that T-shirt. So they own you. They basically own you. You would need their permission to do anything. Yep. For and the even, rest of your life? Yep, for the rest of my life. Damn. And they were trying to only give me 25 G's as like a down payment and then like residuals after. But like residuals in the form of royalties, uh, not technically royalties. Like with the movie industry is just a whole different language. Like it's just they they don't call it royalties because royalties is like money off the top. Like you just get straight uh, percentage off the top. This is like 
a percentage of a certain percentage of this percentage, you know. So <laughs> after you, they pay back a bunch of people and exactly, how much it costs for and this, you just and don't don't and you never know if you're gonna get that fucking money, you know. And so it's it's crazy. And this is like stuff that even if they don't produce it and other people produce, like for example, like you're you're saying like if you made a shirt for Combi, like and sell it at your gym, it it's that portion of it of the profit goes to yeah. Oh, so they, they would be, own your gym too. They, oh sense? yeah, they they wanted royalties off Combody's name too. Yo, that's crazy. Yeah. What normal person would agree that to that? Is crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. That's and I, mean, I didn't and you don't understand the genre because it's like all yeah. legal genre. So I sent it to a lawyer and he was like, "Yo, this is what they're trying to do to you." Ba 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 ba. And I tried to negotiate. I think I I was like, first I was like, yo, this shit sounds crazy. The lawyer told me suggested what I should do, and they were like, nah. And then I was like, nah. And so, wow. Yeah, and they they've approached me a few times, like, hey, you know, let me know if you change your mind. You know, all this stuff. Um, I don't know if I if I receive something like that, it would be so disrespectful. I'd be like, yo, fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I even just don't- even that show Shark Tank, like they um oh. um they try to get me on the show. And because they, you, you, I, I know you guys probably don't know this, but they, they, Disney owns Shark Tank, and Shark Tank, and Disney doesn't allow anybody with a criminal history on their show. So I, I got accepted by the producers to be on the show. So they made an exception for you. And no, but Disney ruled it out. Oh, so they didn't make an exception. Yeah. <laughs> it's see. just crazy. It's just it makes so sense much. with the brand though, because Disney is known. As very but it's Shark Tank, you know what I mean, and I'm not. And They're I was still gonna, under their portfolio. So yeah, get it. But I don't know. I just feel like it's we're in a new age. You know, this is 2020. This is not like, you know, the ni- 90s where everything was just like by the books. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. dude, everybody's talking about Black Lives Matter. Wait, so everybody's what? What did they about, want you to go to Shark Tank for? Uh, to pitch Combody. And so, you know, I, I applied at some point. They hit me back up and they were like, hey, you know, you made the first round. Now we're going to get you in the show, you know, and and then they had that, that rule. And because uh, of that rule, they kicked me out. That's crazy. Yeah. How, I mean, how do people who are incarcerated, like, get their, you know, get their lives back, you know? It's sort of like, it's, it's so restricting this like, type so of society. It's, there's over 40,000 collateral, there's 40,000 rules for against people that have been incarcerated, you know, whether it's just like, I can't get life insurance because I have a record, you know. Wait, I, you can't have, I can't have, you can't even. Yeah, I've been rejected for, you know, I try to get life insurance a few wow. times that I've been out, I've been rejected. Just small little things like that, that my back ground as it is you know i did this as you know young adult you know i was 21 22 23 when i got locked up like and i was in my teens you know what i mean when when you're in that that mental stage as a kid you're not fully grown especially an adult you know like you don't fully grow your brain till you're like 21 22 as a male and so for me i i felt like i was just running around in the streets and i created this thing and you know i was not i i felt like i had no risk involved because I was like fearless as a kid and I didn't give a fuck. But right now I do, you know, I right. wouldn't put myself in that position again. You right. know, Cause when you're a kid, you don't see the long-term consequences exactly. of your actions, you know? And, um, I, I just think that the, the rules need to be changed and people need to be given some type of leniency, especially if you did something, you know, this has been over 10 years ago now, 
you know, right. 12 years. Now, with Conbody, you do give everyone that you hire are former inmates, right? Yep. yep. And they all get second chances. And, and I guess what's so great about it is that you can be there to provide work for them, where otherwise it may be very challenging for them to turn their life around. You kind of give them that head start yep. uh, back into society. Have you ever, have you seen anyone kind of go back on that where they go back to a life of crime? No, no one has gone back into prison. Um, I've had a situation where was some guy, uh, you know, he had a drug addiction and he went back into drugs and we tried to get him help. We got him into a program. You know, he failed in that program, got him into another program and everybody has their own issues and everybody's going to f- deal with their own journeys, you know, and, and uh, I try to help them as much as possible, possible, but for the most part, though, you're seeing a lot of success. Yeah. We we fired forty seven people coming out of the system, and none of them have gone back to wow, the prison. That's a very system. high success rate. Yeah. Do you see a difference in attitude in the way they approach their work every day? Yeah, I feel like they have way more appreciation and hunger. You know, like they want to do more. They they appreciate the opportunity. They appreciate that we're part of a team that's created. You know, through you know similar circumstances. And so it, it feels like more of a, a different community. And then our clients are also feeling some type of weight, too. Like we're helping them with their health you know, issues or, you know, losing weight, gaining strength, you know, whatever their goal is. It's like a win-win situation. You know, they're helping us and we're helping them, you know. I, I just don't know how you were able to do that, like have that inspiration in prison, come out here, start a gym, get people to buy into it and believe and name it Combody and design the gym like a prison cell yeah. and have people go in there and yeah, yeah, I'm down to do a prison boot camp and get fucked up yeah. and, and go in there and it starts getting big. And you were telling me while we were off camera that you were doing this a few years ago, pre COVID mm-hmm. where you could log in online yep. and follow the instructor for a workout yep. through streaming. Yeah. Right? So you're already ahead of the game. Yeah. So th- when when COVID hit, we just saw the subscription uh, base go up on the on the online side, and so it was just like, I don't know. For me, it was like more of a blessing. You know, I I know nobody has said like COVID has been a blessing to them, but like, you know, and and we're we're living through a hard time during this epidemic, and um, but for us, it was just like, yo, you know, turn on the switch, turn on more marketing on the back end. And we never ran marketing on on uh, online, so like everything was just word of mouth. And you know, I did it like it was that's uh, the best marketing. You know, when I was in the streets again, you know, handing out cards, you know, standing in the corner, you know, that's, we've gone full circle. Uh, there was just uh, yeah, I just changed my target market. You know what I mean? I went from like dealing with crackheads to yoga pant girls. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, but it was just it's been a it's been a crazy full cycle. You know, to use the same type of techniques but you know during covid doing the online marketing stuff has just been a, a, a success for us do you think a lot of the skills that you learned when you were young selling drugs are transferable as a businessman in, in your adult years absolutely i just think that the only thing that's missing is you know back back then or, or dealing on the streets you don't have to deal with taxes you know what i mean like yeah <laughs> Unless you, you you have a gang that's you know trying to tax you, but right. uh, for me, um, 
you know, that was the only difference. I mean, I felt like I, I got up every day. I, I delivered a great product and I did it consistently. Um, and, and when I started selling drugs, you know, I, like I told you, I started with a nickel bag, you know what I mean? Like I yeah. didn't, I was not making anything, you know, it went from make you know, dealing with nickels to growing it out to, you know, billions of dollars. And, and that's what I did with the same thing in the fitness side of it. Like I grew up, I, I started in the park in Foresight, you know, where we grew up, I, I, you know, when I came home, it was a soccer field before it used to be oh, the yeah. concrete, oh, right you there. know, yeah, softball yeah, field. Yeah. You know, right. so like I started, I put a, a a fake piece of broken pipe that was on the floor. I stuck it between the fences. I was doing pull-ups there. And, um, you know, I started gathering people at like six in the morning and started training there. And people started seeing, just walking by a senior and started joining you? And and so I was going up to people and people <laughs> were like coming up to the bar and trying to do a pull-up. Uh-huh. And then I'd tell them like, yo, I'm training here, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the first client was my mom. I was telling you, my mom. Yeah. Was, is, my uh, mom's still training with me. You she's, said she was like seventies, eighties. She's she's almost seventy. Is she um, still training with you? Yeah, that's beautiful. Hardcore, yeah, she's, man. She's a beast, man. She works out four times a week. Um, wow. Yeah. You got you guys got to you guys got to try. You guys got to come to to the class one day. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll get my ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> you see how I, bad I, I am. Hey, yeah, I've man. seen videos of cars like going at it with the the, the guys uh-huh. and and he does yeah it's hardcore oh, you the, don't the, the, you don't the bullshit pri- around the man. prison the yeah. prison workout yeah the, yeah, the yeah. one that you, they invited some people they, to prison yeah buzzfeed yeah 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 that was hardcore yeah, yeah. I, I i trained i think i last like 15 minutes yeah. <laughs> no i, I think you <laughs> no that was that was a crazy experience because in, in in cali the the prison system over there is just like way more organized the gangs are like way more organized mm-hmm. so i was in a room where where i had like you know, Aryan nations. I had the Bloods, Crips. I had you know the Asian gangs. I had the the Mexican uh, MS-13s. I had all the gangs in one room, and what? they usually don't get along. And I had them actually touching each other, like what? High five, not like like high fives after a workout. You know what I mean? Wait, what? wait, 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 wait. Wait, you, you, wait. So you were doing con body before it was con body to gang members in on the west coast no no this is when i started combating here but i got i got also i got approached uh by buzzfeed maybe like this is like four years ago a little bit over four years ago now um where they they came up to me and they were like hey i i so i was hitting a buzzfeed nonstop. i was like yo i want you to do an interview on me i'm doing this thing blah 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 combody finally get somebody to hit me up that i like met through somebody else and then you know we started talking and and she she was like yo i got the producers they want to do something so i'm like yo uh they, they hit me up they was like we're gonna record in your gym and i was like nah i want i want to do something in prison i want to want to take because i already did like a workout in prison and i knew the warden in that prison and um and they was like, what? And they was like, I want to do the, pri- I want I want you to film me training the guys inside the California system prison. And um, the warden approved it. We got the cameras oh, in there. It's, a, it's like a 20 something minute documentary. It's a, it's a great documentary. I'll check and, it out. and this is something you've never done before. This is the first time you actually went into a prison to train. No, pri- I was, I was doing it. I was, oh. I was doing it Rikers Island. Um, oh, okay. So I had a, uh, I, I've done like a lot of shit inside the prison mm-hmm. system. I was I was uh, training um, inmates in solitary confinement in Rikers Island uh, three times a week. Um, I was doing stuff in like I've done shit in Kansas City prisons. I've you know I've traveled in a lot of prisons around the country. Did you know prior 
that these guys were eventually going to have some type of camaraderie from all these different races and gangs? They were... Yeah, no, I, I knew that they... I felt like they, they were... Because it was a whole week. We I worked them out for straight five days. So the first day, they're like separated. They never, you they know, were clicky, they, right? They, they stayed clicky, in They stay in there, you know, everybody's... But the way I would design the workout was like, you know, you interact with different people. So like I had people turn around and interact with somebody else. And that was like your workout partner. And, and then, uh, you're holding up, everybody's holding up a, a wall squat while, you know, people are running a lap and doing like 30 pull-ups or some shit like that. And then not 30 pull-ups, I'm exaggerating, but like they're doing like a whole circuit training while somebody else holds on a wall. And then they, they, and so everybody starts clapping for each other, you know what I mean? And everybody the started, up. The, the, yeah, the energy is up. Everybody's giving high fives. And that's, a, was, I love hearing that. It was that, just man. like, it was, it was, a, it was crazy. Beautiful, man. Man. It was deep. It was deep. Damn. See, that's what I'm saying. Like a lot of our differences, we don't even know why we hate each other at times. Yeah. We're just looking at, oh, you're a little bit different than yeah, me. Fuck crazy. you. Meanwhile, we're put in a situation where we can work together and we get to really see who yeah. we are inside. Yeah. And when you show that heart, there's a, there's a certain amount of respect yeah. that kind of goes along with that. And then you guys are going through something difficult together. Yep. And then you can feel that energy and the real energy, not the toxic mm-hmm. shit. And then you, you know, and then you start high-fiving each other and you yeah, feel was... like, you know what? This is stupid. It's, look at the bigger picture. Yeah. But then they had to leave and go back to jail politics. Yeah. Right. So a lot of the guys, you know, they were coming in for the, because it was, I had like 60 guys and uh, they were coming in. And they were like, you know, they, they 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 had a time to breathe where they didn't have to put this, you know, front when they go to the yard and go out to their cliques. Because mm. if you don't respect the cliques and all that shit, like, you're going to get fucked up. You know what I mean? And that's how California prisons, and even like in New York State prisons, like every a lot of shit is segregated in mm-hmm. every prison that I've been to. But over there it was just like... Yo, you fuck with the Chicanos and like you will cross one side of the yard to the other yard and you know you Oh, it's get... divided into sections. So it's territorial. Yeah. Like, like yeah. this person has the basketball court, this group has the handball mm-hmm. court or the whatever. Benches. The benches mm-hmm. or the weights. Yep. Oh, snap. And if you, you can't go into any of these without and you can't you can't hang out with like a group of, you know, if you're like Spanish, you can't hang out with the blacks. You, if you're black, you know, or, and it's not even like black Spanish thing is that everybody has their own gangs too. Like you have blood crips and you have like MS-13 or whatever it is, you know, you just have different type of gangs. You said you saw Asian gangs mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. And that's not something I hear about a lot Yeah, in within the criminal system. What was that like when you, it, you saw? Very small, very, very small. small. Yeah. Um, there was a, a guy in the documentary you saw, um, Ping. He actually came out and I hired him when he came out of the prison system. Um, but he was in a, in a clique in there, you know. An Asian clique? Yeah. Now, did it, do you see any cross cliques where like an Asian or can join a non-Asian clique or a Spanish person can join a non-Hispanic clique? Uh, in New York, yeah. But in Cali, it's strict? In Cali, you... Yeah. Like you're born into this and that's it? Exactly. Wow. So did you have to click up while you were incarcerated? I was, I was like hanging out with the gangs. Uh, I was more with the Dominicans, um, but I never joined them. And they, and they asked me to join and I was like, you know, how much are you going to pay me? (laughs) (laughs) 
and uh, I almost got beat up for that. But you know, they, I, I was, I, we made a joke out of it, and so they were cool. Was, yeah. Mm. Generally speaking, in New York, it's not as strict as it is in Cali. Sounds like. Well, New York, if you're standing alone, you better be ready to fight alone. Uh, you know, is it almost a, a guarantee that they're gonna fuck with you? Like if you go to prison. Um, let's say let's say I went to prison, right? maybe, or norm, maybe. whatever. It depends what 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 unit you go to. You know, there was there was units where like everybody stood to themselves, and there are gangs, but you know, and there was rules like you know, certain gangs run the phones. You know, you had a black phone, Spanish phone, and you had a neutral phone. Oh shit! You know, and so the neutral phone. Um, sometimes the gangs would take over the neutral phone, and so. You know, you can't take over the phone. You so can't you can't. So if it's so if, as an Asian guy, if it's a black phone, then you got the white phone and well, then the neutral no white phone. phone. The white people are not like scarce in there too. Like especially in New York, you know, ninety five percent of the jail population in Rikers Island is black and Hispanic. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it's it's like they're the minority in there. Yeah, a- Asians you really don't see. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you, you'll see like in every prison I've been to, every jail I've probably seen like one or two Asians, but that's it, you know. But they stand alone, so, or they click up with other. Nobody really, I don't know. Nobody really fucked with the Asians like that. With the whites, they did. Probably not a good idea to stick out. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were not sticking out. Yeah, just keep yeah. your head low, mind your business. Yeah, I've seen uh, like one old Asian guy felt bad, like they they were taking advantage of him. And they were like stealing food from him, but like old, like how old, like sixty, seventy, like no, that? like fifty, you know, just like didn't speak English, you mm-hmm. know what I mean, and like, yeah, I don't know what he got caught yeah. with or did, but you know, it was just sad. So, if and it was just like little kids, you know what I mean? That they're eighteen, nineteen years old, they got something to prove. Yeah, so let's go after and, the easy yeah, target. Exactly. Now, do you really have to stand your ground in prison? Like, if if somebody's fucking with you and you let it slide once, then uh, that's yeah, it. it's open it season on you. Yeah, you don't let it slide. You don't. <laughs> it's open season yeah, for you. you. Like, if you just one day, you're just like, you know what? Nah, just fuck it. Nah, you don't let nothing. You just, nothing. You gotta. You can't give them an inch anymore. Yeah, I mean, if you let things slide, you know that's when that's when yeah, open season. You know what I mean? People are gonna take advantage. They'll know. Do, yeah. So it's better to get beat up. Yeah, just or, or try to fight and try to beat them up. <laughs> and they'll respect you for that. Yeah. When they're like, all right, you know what? At least at least this dude's mm-hmm. holding his own. Yeah. Holy shit. Did you so you got into a couple of brawls? Like did some people try to test you? Yeah, a few times. Uh especially when I was a a kid, it was I fought every day. What? Yeah. Every like one on ones, or did they jump you, or was it your crew? Most, crew? most of them one on ones, but um, because I was not part of a can- gang. Oh, so that's what you said yeah. earlier. You got to be yeah. ready to fight alone. Yep. But if it's one on one, it's better than two, three, four, five. Yeah, no, one. I've been jumped too. Like you know, woken up in the middle of the night, mattress flip. You know what? Because it's you know sometimes you're in a you're in a dorm. You know it's. it's 50 beds in one room and you're not in a cell so you you know you got to sleep with one eye open sometimes you know what i mean but damn that's crazy and yeah it's crazy glad you're not in that life 
anymore. Yeah, thank God I'm not I'm not there no more. And you're out to greener pastures. You're doing a lot of great things. You're trying to give back to the community. Yep. I mean that's all great stuff. And earlier you said that you did a TED talk in Hong Kong. How did you go over to Hong Kong <laughs> to do a TED talk? How the fuck that? Oh, uh, <laughs> um, and you said it was one of the greatest experiences of your life. Greatest trips. The greatest uh, trip of yeah, your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just it was amazing because I actually got to bring my brother over. Uh, my brother, uh, he's actually running for city council. He actually, my brother lost for city council um, three and a half years ago against Margaret Chen, and she's termed out she ran she's there she's been in office for 11 years now next year she's she can't run anymore so he lost by one percent what yeah 200 votes oh my gosh and uh the chinese community don't don't, don't like her oh no i mean I'm, I'm here with my brother you know I'm, I'm like helping him campaign and all that stuff my mom's gotten crazy calls from yeah you know people on the street to like knowing my mom's number and telling her like hey tell your brother to drop out the race you know like because they paid it was yo there's so much dirty politics it's fucking crazy bro it's crazy wow give me like they would call your brother and they'll call my mom and harass my mom like my mom's house and tell my mom like yo tell your your son to drop off the race he shouldn't be you know running for politics who would call like just random people people she knew how do you know it came from her to her you know Uh, because they were campaigning for her Cause she she was paying people to campaign for her, and so like they'll call my mom and be like, and then my brother's like, my brother's like a Bernie Sanders, like he just, <laughs> he's just like, yo, there's so much dirty politics, like he doesn't want to take money from people, like you know, they, so basically like city council has huge power in, in here, like they can't build a building here if without their signature, mm-hmm. so all these development companies. You know, pay, you know, pay these people's campaigns, pay, you know, fund these people's terms. You know what I mean? Like to build like these big new skyscrapers that's, you know, destroying the whole neighborhood now and bringing all these, you know, high taxes, bringing so much crazy shit. In, you yeah. Know? The rezoning, you know, changing the neighborhood. Yeah. From, yeah. But like it's the core. Exactly. Like, a, a, you know, noodle soup used to be 25 cents. Now it's a dollar 25. You know what I mean? Like. And uh, and uh, they have to raise all the prices because you know rent is raising up around here and all that stuff. So this is due to like politics too. Like you know these developments are feeding money to her and like she's signing off on like these bigger buildings. And and my brother's like fighting against all that shit. Like we, me and my brother, like had a thousand people protest. I don't know if you've seen that, but we had a thousand people protest last year in Chinatown. Like, cause they wanted to build the largest jail in in New York City. They had right by yeah. Columbus Park. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I have bro- a few friends that are fighting against that. My brother started that whole organization, and he we we got a whole group together. We you know we got to, and and uh, we shut him down actually because he put a lawsuit in with a Native American group. So that that site they didn't know was being uh, it was owned by Native American. Well. But it's like a landmine for Native Americans, and they have to sign off and get permission by the. So it's current that where that, they're trying to build a jail right by Columbus Park is yep. a Native American Native landmark. Ameri- yeah, and so what? they have to get like signature from a chief or something, and so they didn't ask permission. So my brother went to the courts How and the fuck put did a you law- guys find that out? My brother, I don't know, he <laughs> fucking figured this shit out. So Yo, it's my guy. He put a he put a lawsuit in, and they, and we won the lawsuit. And wow. so now they can't build that jail there. 
Oh, is that the status now? As of when? This must have been recent. This was uh, like beginning of the year. Like pre-pand, like right before the pandemic. Really? I thought they were still Mm. fighting to not build it last we heard. Um, I think it's pre-pandemic. That's yeah. when. I mean, right. pandemic times. You, you people were still out. They were like, like they were they're like rallying. Yeah, yeah. People were still out. So yeah. I, yeah. it wouldn't make sense during the pandemic. So so it's done yeah. now. They can't build a jail. Yeah, there. they can't build a jail down there. Wow. So was it like an Indian burial ground? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the uh, myths. I, I don't know. Yeah, if that's, that's, true. That, that's yeah, true. that's what it was. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your brother is the one that. Yeah. What's your brother's name? Christopher Marte. Yeah. Christopher. And when is he running? June is the primary. So he he'll find out if he has he wins the Democratic seat. He probably is gonna win the Democratic seat. You think so? Yeah, I mean he lost by one per, like two hundred votes. Do you know who's running against him? Random people that are coming left field. Uh, so yeah. a lot of people. So okay. he knows. Our brother like gave out like he's been giving out turkeys, doing toy drives. Like he's you know he's been. I mean he's out the there. Right? Yeah, he's out Serving there. He's the been doing a lot of shit. Right, yeah. of course. But if you're gonna run for politics, you have to be at scene serving yeah. the community. Well, I mean, there's there's Come certain on, politicians. Let's not pretend here. I mean, certain politicians just oh, show up for a photo, yeah, uh, yeah. like De Blasio, and then you know. Yeah, but he's already off. got the seat. Yeah, this no, but they, but it's still those politicians don't even do shit. Like sometimes they they just have so much money from all these people that donate it, so they have their minions. Go you out know, there. just go out there and just pass out flyers. You know what I mean? My brother's been knocking on like my brother was walking. uh we he had his apple watch he had like walked a marathon every single day you know he walked up and down the uh smith projects he was like knocking on every single door in the neighborhood why would he want to run for office this is like what he always wanted to do so he um he was working for ibm for a while uh he graduated college and you know he he got into the finance world and he he just thought it was boring and then there was like uh, there was like a shooting of this like illegal immigrant in uh, Pasco, Washington, and um, this immigrant. It was like a like a George Floyd situation. This this uh, you know this uh, Mexican immigrant uh, was working the farms and stuff like that, and like he fit the description. He puts his hands up, and they shot him like crazy like 20 something times or some shit like that and this um, wasn't in, even in the news was it it was it was not in the limelight it was just like bl- that it was, it was just like i didn't hear yeah, about it i didn't so. hear about it and, and this was in pasco washington mm-hmm. and so my brother like heard about this and he was like i'm gonna move to pasco <laughs> this motherfucker went to pasco to work with the immigrant lawyers that were fighting against uh immigrant law and so he he started doing like you know, law work out there and then uh, the assembly position opened up here and he was like, I'm going to move back and run for office. And, you know, he wants he's just like a very political advocate type of person. And he has a, a small position now here. He's a committee man uh, for, for downtown. Are you ever concerned that they might whoever's running against them might try to use you against him? Oh, they already done like stupid articles politics is a dirty game yeah yeah, yeah. they've they've came out with little uh you know articles saying like by the way his brother's ex-con who runs con body (laughs) like (laughs) like it it'll write this whole crazy article at the end it'll be like uh cost uh, by the way he's his brother of cost marte ex-convict you know runs con body right like whatever 
But no. then it's like you're you're running your own business, reformed yeah. ex-con. Yeah. I mean, like that's yeah. that's, that's a story. The, but from the outside looking in, right? I get it. They, yeah. made, they probably they like you know they probably blow like up ex-con. And, and the way it's yeah. written, your brain's gonna lump these two together. Right. Like, oh, the brother must also be yeah, yeah. some type of way. Yeah, like people that. read headlines; they don't read you the know, story. Like, exactly. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You know exactly. So that's that's the whole point of that article yeah. to try to. Um, it's just crazy. Do a little bit of political shaming. Now, does he like? I mean, if he if he wins, he's going to be in this area. Chinatown is going to be one of the areas yeah. where he looks after. I, I got mean, you. Got to get him in the podcast, and I would love to. Yeah, yeah. if he wants Definitely. to come on, love yeah. to. I would, would love. To. I we, mean, we did, had some uh, politicians come on. Did he ever tell you like what he wants to do in this area, in the Lower East Side or Chinatown? He or? just doesn't want uh, mass construction and and like gentrif like mass gentrification. Like you know, he wants like an equal right. He wants also like the you know old businesses to like last for a very long time and not be raised on the rent and you know not be fucked with you know what i mean like this yeah. like cup and Saucer is an example you, I know oh, you guys man, yes cup and right like, by is 131 yeah. i my cousin and i used to go there we used to pay two dollars for that big plate of fries oh, yeah <laughs> it was the bomb yeah and i love it. it's like the old school bar seating style yeah. and and you get a mix of you get construction workers you get kids you yeah. get families it's just a whole and they, bunch, and they got priced out vibe. You know, they were, is that they, why they closed? Yeah, they were, they opened in the in the mid '80s, and you know they they got priced out because you know the landlord the owner wanted it, got somebody to give them a, a better mm, offer. Yeah, that was such a beautiful diner. And just oh. like some landmine like that, you know what I mean? Like this has been there for years, been good to the neighborhood. You know, yeah. I used to walk there with my kid, and they used to give my son, you know, donuts. You know what I mean? Like yeah. free donuts. So. Yeah, they were so nice there. I was just a little kid when yeah. I used to go eat there. I was like 12, 13. My cousin mm -hmm. and I used to just walk and eat because it was cheap. Yeah. And and uh, we can we can have a burger and fries, yeah. you know, and pay just a few bucks for it. Yeah. And where, where, where it wasn't like a burger chain. And mm -hmm. so it was like just good quality. Yeah, local, good quality. Yeah, it was good delicious. People, so. And they were so yeah. nice. Like we we're just, you know, see two little Chinese kids go in there. Mm -hmm. I forgot. They were like, what were they? Were uh, they Greek. Uh, Greek, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they were just so nice to us. We we're just two little kids. And they were making jokes with us and kind of talking yeah. to us and just treated us as as equals. And, mm -hmm. and that was rare. I was yeah. rare at that time. And, and then when I heard that place shut down, it really hurt. Yeah. You know, and, this, and that's, and the sad part is that's happening across, across the board. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a shame. It's a damn shame. And now during the pandemic, I don't know how these restaurants, oh, that's accelerated. Businesses, it's just it's fucking crazy. Uh, the thing is, your brother lived in China, right? He went mm -hmm. to school there and he's fluent, even though you guys are Dominican, he's Dominican. He's, he speaks Mandarin fluently. Yeah. So he's fluent in in in, in uh, Spanish, Mandarin, well, Cant Cantonese too, or no, 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 not okay. Cantonese. And this is where I made the mistake because I brought him to the TED Talk in Hong Kong. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Hong Kong Cantonese is like Cantonese. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm like, I, because <laughs> I couldn't communicate, I couldn't get around. Mm. I remember I was like, oh, I'm gonna. So you I was get in around a, with English in Hong Kong, but yeah. they were, the cabs. Okay, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, red yeah, cabs, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. they're mad disrespectful. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they I upcharge you, yeah. And so, <laughs> no, but I got in the cab, which was funny. And they, you know, how they press the button in the front door in the front uh dashboard, and the back door opens up, yeah, yeah. And so, like, I'm telling my brother, yo, tell him we have to go like here. And so, my brother's like, and, hey, man, and, and the guy's like, huh? Ah. And like just press the fucking <laughs> button 
and like the door swings open and and I'm like, yo, he's like, and my brother's like, yeah, I can't speak Cantonese. I'm like, what the fuck I brought you to China for? <laughs> I didn't understand the train system. You, you have to like, that, like you have to stick the 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 ticket the inside ticket the inside. train to get out. And, and so then, I'm like hopping the train. Yeah. And like <laughs> and everybody's looking at me like it was crazy. I went into a restaurant and they gave me the American menu. I didn't even know that they had it. It was, it was super expensive. Yeah, it's crazy. And my boy goes, what are you doing? And, and he spoke to the waiter. He goes, no, I'm, and he goes, you guys aren't, you guys are um, American born. And he was like, no, 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 I'm HK, you hear me talking? And he goes, well, your friend, he goes, my friend's visiting me. And he's like, oh, okay, okay. And he went back. <laughs> That's crazy. I was like, yo, what kind of, I was like, is that racist? Because because <laughs> i'm chinese but you know like it's crazy but the the experience was fun the experience was fun man was I, nice. yeah no I, re i remember um my brother and i we were in the elevator and uh we I, we were in macau and we're going up in the elevator in the hotel and there was like this this like asian family that like traveled in because the only place you could like come to gamble in china is like macau right right legally i don't know why but whatever it's like vegas over there but it's so replicated like vegas is crazy mm -hmm. like every <laughs> like inch is vegas is is insane um but i'm in the elevator and there's this little kid he must have been like five six years old and he starts petting my hand what and and my brother and i'm like looking at my brother and i look at the kid <laughs> and then you didn't move your hand and now i'm like what the fuck he's more shocked than anything man it's like yo <laughs> and then the kid grabbed my arm and he pulled me down he starts touching my hair because and then and then my brother was like yeah they never felt hair like that so he wants to touch oh. it you know and i had like a little bit of a fro you know what i mean so yeah. it's like <laughs> yo it's just funny man it's crazy <laughs> But he was like, yeah, that those are people like from mainland China that like are living the, you know, West Bubble fucking shit. Oh, yeah. this happened in Macau. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's yeah. a lot of people from the, the parts villages. of China. Yeah. yeah and, they and, and this kid was like five, six. And it was, I was just laughing. And I just like kept, <laughs> I, I kept getting my head pet. Like, dude, I'm, like, yo, yo, dude. like I'm a fucking <laughs> pet. Yeah. Yo, dude, when you said like a little kid, I thought it was like a, like a three year old or something. You say this guy no, is a like teenager. Five, six, five, no, six, five, six. Five, six. Like five, six. Oh, five, six years old. Teenagers not gonna. That's super. No, 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 like, no, I don't no, think. No. I can't wait. I would have smacked that. Kid, <laughs> <laughs> okay, where I'm at. If there's a teenager petting me, I'm like, oh, this time out. <laughs> no, that's why I was laughing because it was just like Five this or six little innocent yeah. kid. Yeah. You know, it was just so funny. Anyway, um, Kos, yo, thanks for coming by. It was. Uh, it was great talking to you. Nah, likewise, man. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story. Nah, Definitely inspiring. You, Down to totally check out yeah your gym man yeah. and uh i can't promise a full workout but uh well once i lock the gate you can't get <laughs> yeah, out yeah you can't get out dude <laughs> oh you Yo, lost hardcore no nah, i don't lock the gate I, no, I closed the gate though but I'm he starts yelling at you you know <laughs> you know you might cry but it's okay <laughs> we'll talk after man nah, thank you bro <laughs>